I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, July 26th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance and tech, all in less than seven minutes. So Jay, I discovered a fun fact today, and I'm not sure you know this, but Antarctica, it's a desert. Can you believe that? I, I do believe that, and I think I know that, but I also like that we're doing a story about Antarctica when I'm in Boston and the temperature is soaring close to 40. Yeah, it's the opposite of that, but I, I had no idea. I thought you would think of Antarctica and it's this like very snowy place, but it's it doesn't get a lot of snow. It's just snowy. And so it's a desert of snow, but it doesn't actually snow. And so there's not a lot of water coming down. And so they consider it a desert. I just I, my mind was just blown by this. I'm glad that you learn something new every day and you can share that with Peak Pals. The, the crazier thing too is that there's like not a lot of water to drink there, like a desert. Like there's not like a, because everything is frozen, there's not a lake that you can go to and just drink something. And so it, it really is a desert when you think about it. I, I'm telling you, Jay, it's a great piece of trivia. And if you are, if you do pub trivia, this will come in handy, I promise you. It will. It's a fairly inhospitable place. But aside from not being able to get a drink of water in Antarctica, Brett, what do we have for Peak Pals? I'm going to go there someday, Jay. I'm going to go and I'm going to see the desert for myself. For our first story, we've got more info on what happened with the Rogers outage. For our second story, grocery chains may have to adhere to a new code. And for our last story, the CHIPS Act passes in the Senate and I'm already hungry. For our first story, yesterday, Rogers executives went to the House of Commons. They received a stern talking to, they explained what went wrong, and they laid out some measures to prevent another major outage. So, Brett, was the Rogers technical team on vacation or something? You can't make this up, Jay. The CTO was actually on vacation at the time, and it just must have been the worst vacation possible. You're, you're laying out in a beach. I, I imagine he's a, a fairly affluent fella. And so you're laid out on a beach in Saint-Tropez, and your phone's just going off the hook with people complaining about how they can't access the internet. It's, it would be terrible. But look, here's what they talked about at the committee Meeting. So Rogers plans to invest $10 billion over the next three years into testing and oversight to prevent future outages while also separating its wireless and cable networks. So either one will always be on at the cost of an additional, by the way, it's the cost of an additional $250 million to do this. They're investing in the network, which is probably a good thing. It probably is a good thing. And there's no way that that person got a phone call because his phone or her phone definitely did not work. No, and, no, because he was probably on vacation and, somewhere else, which was not on the Rogers network. <laughs> that's probably true. He's the only person who works at Rogers that was able to be reached. But in the event of another outage, Rogers revealed major carriers are working towards an agreement where they will automatically take each other's 911 calls if they are experiencing service disruptions. That sounds like something we should have done a long time ago. It just kind of makes sense. But look, now to answer the question, you're all wondering. And, and drum roll, please, Jay. What caused the outage? Well, According to Rogers' report to the CRTC, the outage began at 4.43 a.m. on July 8th when a coding error during an upgrade to its core network caused a chain of events eventually resulting in the shutdown of the entire network, but the CTO was resting peacefully. You, you got to think that the guy that made that error, that deleted that line of code or put the wrong line in, he just must be kicking himself. That's a, that's a terrible, terrible thing to happen to anyone. Now, the report also detailed the difficulty Rogers had combating the outage and its initial inability to find the problem. At first, believing it was a cyber attack, which I guess I'm happy it was. <laughs> I guess it was just incompetence, Brett. And at the hearing, both Innovation Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne and CRTC Chair Ian Scott reprimanded Rogers for their poor communication with both the public and the government regarding the outage. You can only call it innovation if it's from the Champagne region in Canada, <laughs> Jay. 
And here's what's next. Canada's major telecoms have 44 days left to agree to a mutual assistance framework they were ordered to create by the federal government. And so hopefully that will help. That if one of them goes down, we can jump on another network. Again, it just feels like this should have happened a long time ago. Yeah, it seems pretty basic. For our second story, grocery chains and suppliers have said the government may need to intervene to help create a national code of conduct for the industry. This is per the Financial Post. And Jay, it almost feels like we should take a moment of silence for Galen Weston Jr. because this doesn't sound great for the Loblaws empire. It's not going to be great, for sure, Brett. After years of complaints over fees charged by large grocers, which can eat up to 15 to 40% of a supplier's sales, Canada's agriculture ministers demanded the industry come together to create rules to rein in bully tactics in a concentrated grocery market. Now, suppliers said grocers took the fees to a whole new level during the pandemic, with Walmart and Loblaws introducing new charges to fund their e-commerce rollouts. That, that is classic bully behavior. It's not great. While negotiations have recognized the need for written agreements, for instance, the parties can't agree on key areas like who the new rules would actually apply to. Now, since these talks commenced in 2020, spats in the food sector have heated up as suppliers began demanding higher prices from grocery stores. See the great chips battle of 2022 between Frito-Lay and Loblaws, and this was all happening to offset inflation in manufacturing, energy, labor, and distribution costs. Yeah, the chip wars we did cover here on the podcast. Now, shoppers are also feeling the pain of higher costs. The price of an average grocery store run climbed almost 9% last month compared with a year ago. Meanwhile, Lala saw profits spike 40% in the first quarter of 2022, fueled by its broad discount offering, but still not a great look. And Brett, here's why it all matters. Beyond providing the country's largest grocery chains with a framework to work better together, which would strengthen Canada's food supply chain, Empire CEO Michael Medline has said a code would help tamp down the inflation costs in food retail. Now, if the committee can't agree by November, governments will likely step in, which means we may never see what a fair grocery industry can look like in this lifetime. Maybe in our kids' lifetime, Jay. (laughs) Maybe. Sounds a lot (laughs) like the telecoms. Yeah, it does. And for our last story, the U.S. Senate has voted to advance a $280 billion package of subsidies and research funding to raise U.S. technological competitiveness with China. And Jay, it's important to mention, I don't want our, I don't want people to get confused. This is not to be confused with the 2022 chip war between Frito-Lay and Loblaws. The hotly contested, quote-unquote, CHIPS Act will allocate $52 billion in chip subsidies to U.S. semiconductor manufacturers or to onshore foreign production onto U.S. soil. Now, it won Senate approval after it was significantly pared down to focus mainly on chip making and federally backed scientific research. And Brett, here's why it matters so much and why there's so much hype around chips. The world depends on Asia to produce an essential component to every modern electronic device. The continent accounts for 80% of global chip production. Now, several newly announced factories across the U.S. were contingent on the act passing, including one in Ohio from Intel and one in Phoenix from the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation. Yes, but funding won't equal immediate relief from the global chip shortage. One professor told Fortune the U.S. still lacks manufacturing capacity and skilled labor compared to Asia. It's true, Jay. Now, $52 billion is a lot of money, but the U.S. will likely need hundreds of billions more and tens of thousands of new workers to have even a chance at matching Asian output. Chip shortages are already affecting consumers, ask anyone who's tried and failed to buy a new car lately, and will only become more important given their role in the development of next-generation tech like AI and super-duper smartphones. Is that a technical term? Super-duper smartphones, Brett? Yeah, the iPhone 18. 
<laughs> and although this funding applies to American companies, a nearby supplier with a strong trade relationship would bolster Canada's chip security for the long term. So I guess that's good. Hey, pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review? Please do leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson, 306 Media Productions, for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I'm about to send you cruises to Antarctica for next year. Are you ready? It looks incredible. You could do a whole Argentina trip out of it. You can drive all the way down. The... I've thought about this before, Jay. It's something I, it's like a bucket list item for me. Well, I can't wait to see the pictures. Have a good day, Brett. You too, Jay.